The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You can find it printed on page 8 of your worship folder. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here. We ask that you would convince us in some way that the reason we're in this room right now is because you have seen to it and that you have something you want us to hear, to trust, to surrender to, to give ourselves to. Help us to believe that you know what's going on in our life right now the things that we haven't really maybe even told anyone else. You know all the beauty and glory that each of us possess as your divine image bearers. And you know those choices that we've made or maybe choices that have been made onto us. And your response to our mix is always love to restore, heal, and renew. And so help us to believe that even as we connect it to the work you've done in your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Put this here for now. So, my name is supposed to be Jamie. Jamie Harrell. It's true. So my name is supposed to be. When I was born, women would be put under anesthesia. And before my mother, who had made it clear that my name was supposed to be James Frederick Harrell, the Frederick after her father, and that we would call his name Jamie. And um, my grandmother got to my dad and wanted her husband's name to be in my name. It's a lovely name, Ormond. <laughs> I'm the only Ormond you know, I'll bet. And one of just a few Freds, I'll bet, right? So my dad told the nurse, you know, 
while my mother was fast asleep. We're going to name him Frederick Orman Harrell. And the nurse said, how do you spell Frederick? And my dad said, I'm not sure. Just put Fred. <laughs> True story. Got off to a rough start, y'all. And you know, we, we kind of repeated it in our own family. When our fourth child, the one that God blessed us with, Massive surprise. Can't imagine life without her now, of course. Was born, we named her Mackenzie. Born on a Saturday. On Sunday, I go to this fledgling six-month-old city church and say, hey, everyone, yesterday, Mackenzie Ellis Harrell was born. And then I went to the hospital that afternoon with the other three kids go see their brand new sister, Mackenzie, and Torelli, my wife, looks at me and says, her name is London. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are like, you know, this is back when you do the embroidery thing, you know, with initials, like really messing this thing up. So I love a story that has childbirth and naming taking place, because that's what we have here, and it's also like our stories, like my dad's story, naming me, etc. It's messy. It's messy. We are entering into the messiness of Joseph and Mary today. I mean, Matthew is pretty messy. It starts with a genealogy. We didn't read all through that, uh, verses 1 through 17, before we get to this verse 18, but in that genealogy, you have, you have Rahab, um, a sex worker. You have Tamar, who was raped by her father, and then he went to threaten to burn her. Uh, you have Ruth, a foreigner, a foreign Moabitess. You have the wife of Uriah, which is a reference to Bathsheba, which is a reference to the downfall of David in many ways. One of the many, I would say many, low points of the Davidic monarchy. You have Uzziah mentioned in the genealogy, who is struck down for his arrogance. You have Manasseh, who's kind of paradigmatic for the very worst of Israelite kings. This is the family whom God chose to save the world. Feel better about your family right now? <laughs> and you'll notice a lot of sexual messiness here too, sexual violence, sexual desperation, adultery, and now as we come to this story, an unplanned pregnancy. Scandal is kind of a byword all over Matthew's gospel. I mean, we have this stories of Jesus ditching his parents when he was 12 years old in Jerusalem and the turning over of the tables and, 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 and you know, parties with sex workers and tax collectors and disrespects religious leaders and governments all the way to the cross. Jesus is in resistance mode. You know, there's a little-known beatitude in Matthew chapter 11. Remember, I don't know if you've seen this perhaps, where it says, blessed is the person who is not scandalized by me. Isn't that interesting? That's not the beatitude you think of. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are not scandalized, who take no offense at me, Jesus said, because Jesus is going to offend Jesus is going to not make this business of following him very easy. It's going to be messy. And so Joseph, however, seems to 
be able to embrace it. And this is where we kind of learn more about Joseph in Matthew's gospel. Joseph is going to have four dreams in Matthew 1 and 2. This is the first. Um, All of them critical uh, to usher his family as they're fleeing tyrants and they're fleeing uh, death as refugees. These dreams are what gets them through and keeps them all alive. So the first thing about the messiness of this place is you have um, an unexpected pregnancy, obviously. Now, the question is, were they married? And the answer is yes and no. Because we don't have the same categories they had in the first century. Um, I'll put it to you this way. The fathers had a contract. (laughs) Okay? It's patriarchy. This is first century. The father's contract, that yep, we're going to marry these two. It's arranged. And so they're married in people's people's understanding and in in each other's understanding. And in fact... In the very passage, in verse 20, um, you'll see, where's my, there we go. In verse 20 of the uh, passage, you'll see it says, boy, I can barely see the, the verses in here. Okay, but just, it's not because of my eyesight, people. It's not very dark, all right? <laughs> but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The word as is actually added in the translations. It's Mary, your wife. But they had not had sex yet. That was going to be waiting. It was we wait for the feast, for the wedding feast, okay? And so this is the situation that Joseph is finding himself in. Imagine how shell-shocked he must be. Imagine how much he may be saying to himself, who is this person? Which is what comes out of every married couple's mouth that was on point or another. <laughs> who is this person? I don't even know you anymore. But who is this person? I mean, this person who I thought would be so stable, this person who comes from this family, we had this arrangement, and the only thing I can think of is you've been unfaithful. This is a financial disaster as well for him. Children outside of, of uh, these arrangements that were born were threats to the family line. Um, to keep that intact was being very important. So how will Joseph respond is the question. And verse 19 calls Joseph a righteous man, which means Joseph would be very concerned about what does the law say as a faithful Jew. What does the law say to do here? But if following the law, we're not going to look up the Levitic passages, um, but if following the law... It would mean that Joseph would either expose Mary to which she could be the subject of a stoning or publicly shame and divorce her. And what does verse 19 say, Joseph says? It says, um, if I can find it, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Some translations, secretly. Hmm. Joseph called righteous didn't exactly follow the letter of the law. There's no investigation as to what happens, how this happened. There's no shaming. He saves her from that. That's his plan. Maybe Joseph taught Jesus hermeneutics. Because Joseph's hermeneutic is not a literalist kind of biblicist 
hermeneutic. He takes it all in, and I believe is asking in his own way, what is, what is the way of love here? And given his understanding, the way of least humiliation. One of the commentaries I read said, how often do we choose the easy choice because it is right within the bylaws or laws instead of the hard choice, which may lead to persecution, but embraces the love of God? Interesting question. You know, as I was, as I was preparing this, something came to me. And it was that story where the Pharisees go out and they kind of entrap a woman and they've, she's caught in adultery and they drag her up to Jesus and say, what do we do? You know what the law says to do? I wonder if inside Jesus' mind at that moment, he's thinking, this could have happened to my mom. And my dad did not allow it. And he famously saves that woman in John chapter 8 from stoning. But even with all of those conditions aside, Joseph was about to do something that I don't like. He was about to dismiss the woman carrying Jesus. In my research, I came across a poem I'm going to read you right now from Michael Coffey as a way of us applying this portion. And so if you can, try to... I, if you're like me, having poetry read to me sometimes, I, I get lost pretty quickly. So if you're like me, try to focus. Quiet dismissal is what we do to you still when you are close because you flush our faces red with your pregnant unexpectedness, invading our strategies and mendicaments, ruining our safe careers and nest egg certainties, we would have sent you off Joseph-like to a small town halfway house clapboard gray where you could birth your ways behind windows in audible, inaudible isolation and irrelevance. And we move on to another love and another. So what singing angel will come to us in reverie to save us from ourselves and our best intentions and head off our ego-preserving diplomacies and gospel us with the message we dread and always need in our flat barrenness. Fear not the mysterious that labors for love in spite of us. Uncontrollable mercy is with us. And the uncontrollable mercy for Joseph comes to him in a dream in verses 20 and 21 where it says, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. First word that comes out of the angel's mouth, and we see this so many times in the Bible, do not be afraid. The most, the most famous, the most common one-liner in the Bible. I'm told used 365 times, one for each day of the year, we might say. Because fear is what usually drives us, no matter how much we may try to hide that. Joseph is understandably fearful. How could he have ever thought he would ever be in this predicament? Distress, betrayal, disappointment, and feel for, fearful for Mary as well, apparently. This is really important. You know, I used to have to get allergy shots about once a month. And uh, I'd sit in this little office where they had all the kind of trashy magazines, you know, like People and Us. And if you subscribe to these, I'm sorry to insult you. <laughs> they're fine, okay? They're fine. Um, but, you know, Us Magazine, is, that's when I got to read Us Magazine, okay? Thank God my allergy thing has improved so I don't have to go there anymore. But, uh, but there was always this one section, the stars are just like us. It is so pathetic. Anyway, the stars are just like us. Mary and Joseph are the stars. And you know what? They are just like us. It's really important that you see that. I think that's why Matthew just literally just immerses this into the mundane. Into, into the lives that we lead. The more we can imagine them as people like us, the more we can imagine and might imagine ourselves to be people like them. Frail, going through all sorts of trials, finding ourselves in spots that we never thought would happen to us. And yet God uses them to accomplish God's purposes. What is your predicament right now? How would you finish the sentence, I never thought, I never thought I'd still be single or single again. I never thought I would still be childless. I never thought that my marriage would end or that my marriage would be so hard. Never thought. I never thought that my career would be the way it's gone. I never thought that middle school would be so hard or that high school would be so difficult. I never thought I'd have a child that had to deal with. I never thought my parents would split up. Let me tell you something. Whatever that sentence is for you, Joseph and Mary stand with you when you say, I never thought. They never thought. And God wastes nothing of those predicaments. But in God's own way, God brings about life in the midst of all the never thoughts. And we have the famous lines of verses 20 and 21, which I've already read to you. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. 
You're, she will, you will, he will. She will bear a son, you're in the name of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Mm. Another way of putting it is, God comes through ordinary mixed up people in order to save ordinary mixed up people, and that God comes through their ordinary birth to promise freedom from sin, fear, and death, and rebirth as the children of God. That's what's going on in this. Very ordinary and yet life-changing. And so we have, lastly, we had an unexpected pregnancy, an unexpected dream, this unexpected response out of Joseph because Joseph responds with 100% obedience. <laughs> he does exactly what the angel told him to do. And the dream calls Joseph to do something even more radical than a private secret dismissal. He is called to embrace her and embrace her pregnancy as an act of the Holy Spirit. Which means to follow God by not following the law in this instance. Can you imagine the kind of criticism he must be taking? Do you know how many people would have shown him chapter and verse what he is to do with Mary? The Bible is very clear about this, they would say. You're condoning sin, they would say. You're in denial that you've made up this nonsense, they would say. Oh, yeah. And yet Joseph did it. He did it. A man ahead of his time in many ways. Joseph embraced good news in the midst of all sorts of bad news going on around him, which is the only way good news ever really comes to us. It's always a mix. He embraced it. Joseph has no idea how this is going to turn out. Jesus' followers had no idea how everything was going to turn out. They all embrace good news in the midst of bad news. Why? Why do they do it? Well, it might be found in this prophecy in the middle of this text that I haven't read yet. From Isaiah. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, 740 years ago when Isaiah talked about that, he was talking to a king. And this king, Ahaz, was very concerned about two northern neighbors coming down and wiping out his kingdom. And so Isaiah the prophet goes to him and says, look, you see, let me tell you something. Trust God. You're going to be fine. And all we know is he, he apparently points to or has in mind a woman and says, not a virgin, by the way, but a woman in the Isaiah context, and says, this woman, just as surely as she's going to bear this son, you are going to be delivered, rescued. God will be your advocate. Trust God. That was the original God with us. But here it is all of that still, but it's even more profound in Matthew. Because now we have this to add to it. God is with us, yes, as our rescuer, yes, as our deliverer, yes, as our advocate, yes, as the one we trust, 
that God is with us in radical solidarity, in full participation of all that it means to be a human being. It's that much deeper. God with us. God becomes what he loves from all eternity. God chooses to be human. And if that is true, if God comes to us, joining us as us, identifying with us in all of our frailty, in all of our humanity, to redeem us and this whole world, we can begin, perhaps, to trust God in the midst of all the I never thought this would be my situation. And to believe that God is for you and for us. And all the pain, loss, sorrow, and joy of life. Dorothy Sayers put it this way. It's not printed in your worship folder. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. God himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. God was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth God's time. Well worth God's time. Friends, if, do you want the advent courage of Joseph? God with us in radical solidarity with humanity has the potential to make you fearless. Let us pray. Gracious God, today we ask that you would give us grace as we talk about these things in a 25 or 30 minute sermon that are just filled with mystery. Help us to see the on the ground reality is that you're with us. You are for us. You understand us. You know what it's like to be human, which is why you inspired the writer of the book of Hebrews to say that Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses always. And help us to believe that to such a degree that we know deeply a new sense of Advent courage in our life. Give us grace to receive that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.